Okay, this is Debbie Q with the right shoe and Debbie Sue with the right shoe. And <laughs> this is our this is take three of a of a thing we're hoping that'll eventually get get to our listeners. Oh, my podcast is about all things strange and unusual, and it's been very strange and unusual today, especially in reference to a death. The case I'm going to talk about today is, it's it's just absolutely, it's a case that is one for the books. It's a British case, and, and actually, off the record, Lyndon, I'm glad we actually did that because it gave me a better feel for certain things that I didn't understand I'd just like to say, Deb, I'm glad you've actually introduced me because uh, I didn't get an introduction that time, but I am actually on the show this week. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I'm so worried at this point. This is Lyndon. I'm so excited. Let me introduce him. I have, we've had a terrible time. I, my son's not here. My podcast is all over the place. Um, this is my favorite, favorite guest. And it was anybody else they would have took me out by now it's <laughs> Lyndon from murder of bedtime with Lyndon. you gotta check them out all podcasting platforms and youtube it's excellent they he has the most original episodes i don't hear anywhere else i the cases are so unusual murder at bedtime with Lyndon. yay I don't know what to say, Deb. <laughs> For a moment there, I was going to tell everybody about how we just recorded or didn't record over an hour. Twice. But because you, no, because you've sucked up to me so well, I'd have given me that great intro that I'm not going to say anything about it now. I'm just going to leave it. All right. <laughs> but I'd just like to say it's been the most interesting two hours of my life. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's been nonstop action. I, I my son left me, so now I don't know how to work anything. And and he's always here. And he and not only that, but he redid the room, so he took he he really did like discombobulated. So everything's there's wires everywhere, and I'm like ah, you know he'll come we've back. Been here and so he'll long, fix we've it. been here so long. I've taken two yeah. toilet breaks. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> I had my Dunkin' Donuts, and I'll be eating dinner after we're done this. <laughs> I'll, I'll be eating dinner at midnight at this rate. <laughs> oh my God, Lyndon! Thank God you're you. Oh, oh no, case... honestly, Deb, it's it's been fun. It really <laughs> has. <laughs> the true, the true. Well, in fact, well, no, my podcasting inside and out by the end. I know. I mean, we we, we have to remember. We can't do a recording if your son's not here. Yes. No, he, he must be here because he knows uh, he's just so good. He would be and it would be done. I know it's one thing because I remember we pushed this button and everything was fine. And I'll well, be neither of us know what that but Neither of us know what that button was, do we? Unfortunately. So- <laughs> I wish. Oh, God. Honestly, I'm uh, gonna know this case better, but, and I'm glad because this case, because it's British, it did mess me up a little bit because I had never heard of it before, and I wasn't familiar with it, and and I really was starting from ground zero, and I read the Sun's book, but the Sun's book was more about, I mean, he did put a lot of stuff in there. But it was more about how he got through it. It's a very good book. It's We are talking about the murder of Rachel Nacal, which happened in 1992. 
And it's the case is utterly fascinating, but it's a bit confusing to me because I I didn't know of it. Uh, most cases I do, I have heard about, and I have at least a preliminary background. This case was literally ground zero. However, you want to start it again. Uh, you know, should I? Should you? You did great with the X. You know, we'll do it how we were doing it with you giving the okay. intro to, I'll, and then I've totally forgotten how I did it last time. Oh, it took too long. It <laughs> took too long time. It's been so long. Um, you no, started I, like with the initial, like where she was born, and then I, I did. and this time I know more about how, with Colin. You know, I'll erase yeah. that part. But yeah, that's yeah. great. I mean, the thing is, is that I've been here so long, summer's arrived. <laughs> so I'm just going to have to take this jump. I've just got to take my jump yeah. off because it's got hot. <laughs> it's going to be summertime by the time we're done with this. Yeah, I mean, it's only May. It's probably still snowing here. <laughs> yeah. Is <laughs> the, it really uh, anyway. snowing? Sorry? Is it really snowing? No, no, it's lovely out there, oh, really. Oh, good, 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 good. Okay. The, uh, you, honestly, British humour. It's not really oh, very okay. funny, is it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'm going to get serious now. And as okay, I say, here we go. As I say on Murder at Bedtime, I'm going to crack on. Crack right? on. All right, Ed, Deb, are you ready? Yes. For the I'm third ready. time. For the third Ac- time. Bring it on. Action. All right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Rachel Jane Nickel was born on the 23rd of 1968 to parents Monica and Andrew. She grew up in Great Tottenham in Essex. She was a very bright girl, but was also a natural performer, and she wanted to be a children's TV presenter. But she kept up her studies, and she got her A-levels in history and English. Uh, Rachel worked as a lifeguard at a swimming pool in Richmond, London, to help pay for her studies, and it was here in 1988 that she met motorcycle courier Andre Hanscom. And they hit it off immediately. Um, they actually, um, Rachel abandoned her plans of going to university and they moved in and uh, to a flat in Ballam in South London. But unexpectedly, Rachel fell pregnant and gave birth to their son, Alexander, Alex for short. Now, a lot of reports say that Rachel was a model. She was. She had done a little bit of modelling and she had planned to do a bit more and had got offers to go back to it later. But basically, she wanted to be a proper mum. And when the time was right, she was going to move into broadcasting. Andre was a semi-professional tennis player and was at the time a motorcycle courier just to make some extra money until he could pursue his dream and Rachel's to move to France. Rachel loved going out for walks with Alex and their dog, which was a Labrador called Molly. Everywhere she went, she was tired of being, she was a a good-looking woman, there's no doubt about it. And everywhere she went, she was always propositioned by men or sometimes they even, you know, there was even indecent exposure involved. So when it was suggested that she might like to try Wimbledon Common, uh, Wimbledon Common is a large open space in Wimbledon where the famous tennis tournament is held it's about 1,140 acres of grassland trees, etc. And on Wednesday, the 15th of July, 1992, Rachel, Alex and Molly had been visiting the common for about six months. And it was on that fateful day that her and her son took a walk. Her and her son, Alex, took a walk. 
Now, they were walking through the commons, and that day, it was a really nice day. Now, but the commons, I equate it to Pennypack Park here. It's large, very large. And there was 500 people approximately in the commons that day, which sounds like a lot, but it's like Pennypack. It's so, it, the way it's spread out, 500 people is not a lot of people. So they and they weren't even in a an, on an off site like they were in the middle of a of like a path that was heavily used it was about 10:30 a.m. was it a little earlier was that, it it was it was around about 10:30 10 so it was about 10:30 a.m. and her and her son were walking when all of a sudden now her son was 2 years and 11 months at the time he was just about three, but still young enough that he was the only witness to what happened next. A man came out of the woods in the middle of broad daylight and began stabbing Rachel. He did not touch Alex. He stabbed and sexually assaulted Rachel in front of Alex, which to me just breaks my heart as a mother i always put myself in this position and i cannot imagine what that poor little boy went through one of the things that is the most heartbreaking about this case she had so much blood loss first he was saying wake up mommy because he thought she was asleep he, he wasn't sure he was confused about what happened but he had tried to put like a little paper on her forehead because he was trying to stop the blood loss which is one of the most heartbreaking details about that whole incident so in the meantime this woman was attacked and murdered in the commons and the only witness was her two-year-old son yeah as you say absolutely heartbreaking deb i mean there are a few extra bits I could just yeah, uh, yeah. put in there. Of course. Um, it, it was actually a really terrible assault. The man crept up or must have, you know, lunged at, uh, at Rachel from behind and his actual first cut to her throat nearly decapitated her. Oh. He then went on to stab her 49 times. And uh, it must, uh, from reports that I've heard, is that he must have either pushed or thrown Alex out the way because when Alex sort of like got to his senses, the guy was actually washing his hands in the stream and they think the whole attack took just three minutes. So, you know, and it was, it was a savage attack. So, uh, I mean, three you know, minutes to do all that. It, I guess three minutes, if you sit here and do three minutes, I guess that's incredibly yeah. long, but wow. It oh. wasn't in a secluded area either, Deb. Really, it was on a on night next to a path. He, you know, he anybody could have come across him at the time when he he was doing it. So, I mean, he just didn't care. Whoever did it was in a frenzy, like Ted Bundy when he had escaped jail. He used to be real neat and everything, but they said towards the end when he went down to Florida, he was in such a state of "I just need to kill." that he was sloppy, he didn't care, and that's what it sounds like here, like somebody who just wanted to kill and get that sick need fulfilled. It it will become a lot clearer about uh, what the murderer was like towards the end. That's yeah. what I always wondered was what was the motive? The motive was really a sticking point Yeah, because I didn't want to know who did it yet. So I really went in succession. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, what happened next was was that oh, yeah. uh, the, the first person who came upon the scene was a retired architect called Robert Murray. Uh, he saw a pair of bareless, uh, bare legs pointing out towards the path, and he, he thought at first that it was a sunbather. Uh, but as he got nearer, uh, in his own words, he saw utter carnage, and he could see in Rachel's eyes that she'd gone. She was dead, you know. And, she, and he said, there was this little chap tugging his mummy's sleeve saying, wake up, mummy, wake up. Oh, my God. Now, I mean, I can't imagine how this was for the young boy. One month short of his third birthday. I mean, you remember things from then, don't you? I mean, I yes, do. I know I remember absolutely. So, I mean, you'd remember that for the rest of your life. Well, I believe, I, I, I saw it in a report, but you know how you sometimes get a report and you don't save the... and. You don't get it back? Yes. Can't find it back. In a report, I saw, and I'm sure he did, because we wouldn't have left him there, but Robert picked up Alex and ran to a ranger station uh, because there was no mobiles in them days. or Very, very few. It was built like a brick if you did have one, wasn't it? And uh, 30 pounds. uh, I know he ran to a ranger station, and I'm sure he took Alex with him. And, of course, he alerted the rangers who alerted the police. This was 10.30 in the morning. And even at that time, there was around 500 people were on the common. But, of course, 500 people on a 1,400-acre common, you could not, you could sometimes not bump into somebody, you know. So uh, the police cordoned off the common and took some witness statements. The forensics found no evidence apart from a tiny amount of organic matter on Rachel's trousers. The police were struggling, but now we're going to enter somebody – if it was my podcast and I was doing it, would be straight into my scumbag corner. And this is Dr. Paul Britton. I want you to remember that name because this guy is a knob. Unbelievable. If there was ever a narcissist with the biggest ego in the country, it was this man. He did countless interviews. And with this bloke, he's unreal. Now we're going to, you can tell about, because of poor Britain, now enter Colin Stagg. Colin Stagg. Oh, this poor guy. Unfortunately, he enters this case pretty much accidentally. Well, accidentally. He was taking a walk in the morning. It was around 8.30 on the commons, but he had gotten a headache a migraine, and he went home to get some painkillers, laid down for a second, and then he came back around 10.30. When he came back, there was, like, the police cordon off. There was all kinds of activity, and he walked up to the police, and he said, what's going on? And they brought him up to date with what was happening, and he said to them, wow, that's interesting. I was here this morning, but I didn't see anybody. Now, I know from watching so many movies and true crime videos, when anybody comes to a scene, the first thing an investigator is going to think is, why is this guy here? Did he have something to do with it? In this case, it gets a little out of control. But the point is, he he did genuinely go home, have a headache, come back, and the police were suspicious, I think, immediately, just when he came back. But then they asked him, 
can we have your name and number? To which he gladly obliged. There was nothing secretive. I mean, he said, sure, here's my name and address. Here's my phone number. The police go to his house. When they go to his house, they find... Now, Colin was a 29-year-old virgin, and he was a little strange. But, I mean, you know, some people just don't have that way with women. I, I mean... He, he had a little bit of pornography laying around, and he also had a little bit of, of, like, books, and I do believe there were some posters viewed as satanic to the police. And this is how it all started. They just saw the Satanism, so to speak, which wasn't, it was that, to them it was Satanism, and they saw the little bit of pornography, and they just thought, here's this guy, he must have obviously been the perpetrator, and then who made it worse was Paul Britton, because of... They'd, they'd worked, they'd basically worked to Paul Britton's, uh, you know, forensic Specifications. Profile and just decided that this guy fit it. I mean, to put it into context, they had a... Britain has a program called Crime Watch UK, or it did have a proper one that was on every every month or so, and um, they recreated crimes and got you to ring into a hotline to the police. And they did they did the Rachel Nickel, you know, recreation, and eight hundred and sixty six people rang in, and four people, only four people, put forward the name of Colin Stagg. Considering this is a guy who is. You're describing, doing the description that Paul Britton's done. It's definitely Colin Stagg. You know, he looks like him and everything. So they've just gone for it. They've just decided that what he says has got to be true and gone for the nearest bloke to it. And four people have written and said, oh, that that sounds like, or looks like, sounds like, you know, looks like Colin Stagg who lives down on, you know. So once they decided to get it into their head that it was definitely Colin Stagg and nobody else really, I mean, they did. It was said that they interviewed 30 other people, but I just think they'd just actually just gone, you know, they decided, no, it's not then. It's, uh, it's I it, agree. You know. I agree. And do you think so, it was based on his um, the psychological profile? I guess so, right? No, I, I mean, the psychological profile of what he said had put the seeds of doubt that this guy fitted it so perfectly. Yeah. I mean, if you make a profile of somebody, I mean, you know, I mean, I honestly don't, I honestly don't believe in uh, psychological profile. I think yeah, it's rubbish. I'm not I think big... it's all a load of rubbish. Yeah. You know, so you know, so that you're, you're, I'm going to be biased because I think it's a load of rubbish. But in this particular story, this guy's an idiot. Oh, you know, so, it's... they you know, what he what he the stuff he gets up to later. I mean, he's just but because he's he's been you know he's actually been sort of like outed as being useless, but he can't resist it. He's such a narcissist. He can't help going on the television, even if he's being blown apart. He, you know, he, he loves just it. Loves he loves it. He, he, yeah, yeah he loves he's. It. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. He, he has that. He just wants to be in on TV. And, oh, yeah. I don't matter. You Eats know, I've up. seen, seen some of us, our best journalists, interviewing him, and just say, him saying something. They just get his own book out and say, "Yeah, but in this, you say this," <laughs> and uh, he's like, and he's like. He's got this really annoying voice, you know, as well. And he sort of like every time he opens his mouth, you just want to put your foot in it, you know. So uh, he just honestly leaves me cold. Uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy his book. I, I, I only listened to him because I had to listen to him for this case, you know. So right, um, right. 
I mean, but anyway, you, I'll listen to him. Yeah. You remind me, I had said this because she just reminds me of him so bad. There was a woman, she's passed away since then. Her name was Sylvia Brown, big psychic in the U.S. Yeah. Now, in the beginning, I think people took to her because she got a few things right. But then she really started, she did some nasty things. There was one part, it was one uh, interview she stands up, the women, she doesn't even let the person, like, finish what they were saying because they said their daughter died. So she goes, oh, she was shot. And they're like, well, no, she died in her bed. And it, it was of some sort, like, she just died, but she wasn't shot. But it, it right then and there, it really was the downfall of Sylvia Brown. But that is exactly who re- she reminds me of. Like, she yeah. just wanted to be on two... TV so bad, she didn't care. Wrong, right? She just wanted to be on TV. And she made an excuse about that. But it was so sad because some people really wanted to know where their children were. And she just out and out lied and, and gave that's them just, no hope. You know, it's sad. That's terrible. To take no, advantage. Really, you know, that's who he reminds uh, me of whenever well, that you name know. comes up. We're not. We're not going to get onto mediums, are we? No, Honestly, that's a whole. That other... will re- That will really set me off. Yeah. You yeah. Know, well, so, that's it. They so, prey uh, on the. They prey on the vulnerable. You know. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, you've already you've already got me into so much trouble <laughs> about <laughs> With... four holes, American <laughs> gun, gun American gun laws, and now you've <laughs> probably dragged me into a thing about mediums and forensic, and I'll, I'll have. There's a bloke outside of his dog, and I think he's the only bloke who's listening listening to me soon. I don't care. You know me. I don't care. I'm sure that's a whole other issue. But so back to because Colin Stack. Yeah, you want to keep that one listener. I do. I want to. Even the dog's wandering off. So anyway. So what happens? Yeah. So yeah, now we're just. Joking. So what happened is, is that we, you've just covered the fact that they went to the, uh, they went to his house, didn't they? They found some books on uh, the occult, and they found some nudie calendars. Yeah, and like, you know, which is hanging in every garage in Blooming. Seriously, you know, and he he's got a couple of books on the occult. Well, all I can say is, I hope the police don't come round here because <laughs> they'll have. If poor if poor Britain's given my profile out, I've got, I'm 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 inside. I've got no hope because they'll, I'll have to take out. Well, I'll take some boxes out so we haven't taken these into account yet. So yeah. So anyway, um, the, if the police come round here, I've got so much stuff stashed here. I'm in real trouble. So anyway, away from that because I've probably got myself arrested. <laughs> Oh, believe me, they ever look at my computer. I'm telling you, what happens after your head gets cut off? You know, they'd be like, what is she, a serial Honestly, killer? Honestly, <laughs> I mean, the other day, I can't remember what I was looking for, but I thought if ever they if ever yeah. they look at me, they'll think, what the hell have we got here? <laughs> you know, if ever somebody I know goes missing and they come around me and take my computer away, yeah. that's it. I'm gone. It really but anyway, is. while I'm still while I'm still free, <laughs> I'm going to carry on. I thank God that you edit this. Yeah. Honestly, I could. I mean, I remembered the other week me telling you to delete that poor holes thing, didn't I? I said take that out, and you didn't. It was too great. If I lived in America, I'd be hung. So anyway, Collins. So anyway, there's there's no doubt about it that Collins Collins a bit weird, isn't he? Oh uh, yeah, so, he's weird. You no, know, he's a strange bloke. 
he, he's 29 years old and he's still a virgin. Yeah. I, I feel a bit, you know what? He still lives in England. I feel a bit embarrassed saying that because, you know, it's not very nice, is it? But he was 29-year-old virgin. It comes he, off weird. It was, I don't like to, you know, because this is a serious uh, thing and about a lady that, being but murdered. But I feel bad for the guy. But, you know, the lad's gagging for it. Yeah. You know, there's no way other way of putting it, Deb. He wanted, he wanted sex. And, you know, he, he hasn't, he can't have the social skills to actually say to a woman outright, you know, would you like to go for a drink or yes. out for a meal or whatever? So he's he's reverted to lonely hearts letters, you know, lonely hearts things in the newspaper. And that now was we all big know in 1992 that, that we didn't have the computers and we didn't have online dating and we didn't. So this is all done by an envelope with a stamp. <laughs> so you send off a letter to some woman and say, "Would you, you know, fancy talk?" Yeah, and then a week later you get a letter oh, back. Oh God, can you so imagine? At the end of at the end of three months, poor old Collins not got to the stage he would like to be in, right? He sort of sends a bit of a saucy letter to her saying that he'd quite fancy having sex in the open air with her and that. Now, I'm, I'm wondering, because they're so freely to tell you that this was a, a relationship he was having by letter with a lady called Julie Pines, whether that's really her name. That's a little strange. But anyway, strange. Julie Pines gets this letter, looks at it, and doesn't ever reply to Colin again. But she keeps the letter for two and a half years, <laughs> you know. So anyway, what they do is that the very, very um, clever Met Police get together with our friend, Dr. Britton. Yes. Yeah. Now, yes. Dr. Britton, you know, who's already done this fantastic thing for Colin Stagg, has been arrested for. But they decide they will do a honey trap. Now, they're going to do this honey trap by they're going to get a, a policewoman. It's going to be called Operation Edsel, right? And they're going to get this policewoman, who we don't ever know the name of, but she is called Lizzie James. And she's going to send Colin a letter because Liz, because Lizzie um, Judy Pines has come forward with this letter to the police, which they've read, and now Colin Stagg is even more because she put she she watched the crime watch thing and said you might be interested in this letter, right? Oh my god! So they've got this letter that Colin has the only the only letter the one that one he wanted to go in the field and how's your father and all that. Anyway, so anyway, she's on that for two years, two and a half years, giving it to the police. They've decided to launch this honey trap. They've got this policewoman in, very attractive policewoman that they're calling Lizzie James. They get her to write a letter to Colin saying that she is a friend of uh, Judy Pines and to say that, um, I hope you don't mind, but I read the last letter that you sent her and Julie hated it, but I love it because I love to do these things in the outdoors and I think me and you would get on really well. Is it okay if I write to you? So they do. So over the next few months, they, they're, they're writing. Then they start phoning. All the time, she's saying that she likes stuff in the open air. She likes pain. She likes to inflict pain. She likes to get pain. Then she tells him that she's her and her ex-boyfriend actually murdered a woman who was expecting a baby on an altar somewhere and murdered her. So, of course, she's saying, because I, I love that sort of thing. That's now, right. Poor old Colin. Now, he goes, <laughs> she tells him this when they go to meet for the one and only time. 
they got arranged to meet at Hyde Park. Now, Lizzie James is there, Colin's there, and there's coppers all over the place in, in plain clothes, making sure he doesn't do anything to her, you know. But uh, anyway, this is when she tells him, because she must have been wired up. Yeah, yeah absolutely. She's told him that she, uh, you know, she's killed this. Uh, she's killed her and her ex-boyfriend have killed this. I don't know how they ever thought this was going to work in court, but anyway, she told him that they're going to. They killed this lady who was expecting a baby. Yeah, and um, then she says to him, "It'd be great if you'd done something like that." Colin had actually mentioned to her in the letters that he had been arrested for the murder, but he was let go. So he told her that. So she said to him, if you were the murderer, I, I would definitely basically have sex with you, you know. And Colin, even for everything, he's, this, guy, this guy is so frustrated, he's gagging for it. Aww. He still says, you know, really sort of like, he, he basically, I'd love to say he did it. He says, no, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I didn't do it. Well, she, and she says, well, I can, only, I can only have sex with the man who murdered uh, Rachel Nickell. And Colin again says, I'm sorry, but I didn't, I, I can't because I didn't do it. But as you know, this wasn't enough for the police. They decided to arrest him. And he spent 14 months in prison before his court case came up. The judge threw it out in minutes. <laughs> he absolutely threw it out in minutes. I believe the judge, Judge Mr. Justice Ognall, his words were this. He ruled that the police had shown excessive zeal and had tried to incriminate Stag by deceptive conduct of the grossest kind. He excluded, he excluded the honey truck evidence and the prosecution withdrew their case straight away. It was poor. Well, as we know, the person who was, in, who was helping to set up the honey trap and tell them what to say was Paul Britton. Paul Britton. The, the judge assassinated Paul Britton in the uh wow. in the box. And Paul Britton, of course, denied that he knew anything about it. It was all done behind his back. Oh. Colin leaves the court and runs the gauntlet away from the journalist. The father of Rachel does a press conference on the steps of the old Bailey, and he says that the police are not looking for anybody else. So they have basically ruined this lad's life from now on. Unbelievable. And like <sighs> you said, they he couldn't even walk outside. They would spit on him. Yep. I mean, that's that's horrible. They get, you know, that drives me crazy when investigators do that. They get somebody in their scope or mind frame and I don't know it's because they just want to close the case or what, but they then they just want to fit that person. And and there was no physical evidence that it was Colin, ever. It, it was all circumstantial. It was all in their head. And it was, like you said, Paul Britton's profile. It's a shame because it they, you know, ruined his life for a long, long time because of this. And he didn't kill her. And he never admitted to it. I don't understand how they even brought that and thought that the judge would accept that. It, that I'm glad the judge did what he did and said this is just you know it's inadmissible. He inadmissible. just he just said it, it, it's inadmissible. You know you can't use this. It's rubbish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so 
So after that, you know, after the judge threw it out, were they still on the trail for, did they think, or did they at this no. time realize that they needed to change? Well, it goes in a different direction now, doesn't it? Because they have basically said that the murderer is Colin Stagg. <sighs> the fact that he's been, the fact that he's been let out as a, uh, a mistrial makes no difference. Oh, he the was the man who did it. Yeah. And this is what I mean. Colin now has to live. He's not, he's not been, it's not been, he's free. It's that it was a mistrial because they tried to fit him up with this, with this honey trap. So as far as they're concerned, the police, they've caught Rachel Nickel's murderer. He's just out. He's that not been, he's not been. Crazy. You know, so anyway, what happens here is now we've now we've got something else happening. At the same time, just up the road, they have had a rapist, right? A serial rapist known as the Green Chain Walk rapist. Now, this is the, the Green Chain is a walk that goes around London. You can go around London, the signpost saying, go down this. It says Green Chain on, you know, and you just walk around and it's a nice long, nice walk by all, you know, nice countryside and everything like that. A lot of people, well, in fact, there was 106 crimes on 86 women. And this was in Rachel Nichols' murder was in the middle of these. We've now got this rapist who's war, who's going around doing these rapes before Rachel was killed and now after Rachel was killed. And so they think they need a they need a uh, forensic profiler. Guess who they bring in? Welcome back, Dr. Britton. And he makes an absolutely new profile, right? He's already made the profile for Rachel. Now he makes a profile for the Green Chain Rapist. Yeah. That's mind-boggling. It really is. Now, so now... Even though he's met, he, he, so now he's consulted on one murder, but he's he's solved that basically because Rachel's murderer was is they know who it is, but he's not inside. The second one now he's going along because he now he's feeling even though he's got told off by the judge, he's still feeling like he's he's caught the killer. So now he's off uh, he's off to the green chain, and uh, now he's going to try and uh, he's going to try and solve that one. So he does another one. So now there's two there's two profiles, <laughs> right? God. That's unbelievable. Anyway, I, anyway. I just can't understand it. And I mean, how? What's the time frame between this? Like when her her rape was in ninety two. Was there? Yeah, a he's time been doing it frame? since the late eighties. And he ca- and of course, the rapes went on. That's insane. now. Uh, I'll tell you. This is this is what uh, Professor Lawrence Allinson, the chair of forensic uh, psychology, said about it all. He he said, <laughs> "Am I ready for this?" <laughs> frenzied, random, motiveless knife attacks on women are rare. Even more unusual are frenzied, random, motiveless knife attacks on women with their children with them. And here was Britain with two of these under his nose, and no one noticed. So not once the fact that Rachel was killed with a. And, and sexually assaulted with her son present. And there's loads of these 106 crimes going on on the canal path and whatever it was, the, you know, the chain, the green chain path. And they were all done with their, either in their houses or outside with their children present. Oh it never God. clicked with anybody. Anyway. <laughs> I, I wonder what, I mean, is it because they had it in their head that it was Colin Stagg so bad that it just never clicked that this could be? Absolutely. 
that just goes to show you how dangerous that is. You re- you remember when we did the West Memphis Three last yeah, time? Exactly. They had it in their heads that it was these three boys, and now to this day, they're you know they're never going to go back to it because they got that Alfred plea. Yeah, but they're not. They're they're still not innocent either. Right. They're not innocent. They're, they've been let out of prison on this Alfred plea. They're innocent. not innocent, as we will find out. This is why Colin was a lot luckier than the West Memphis Three. He did have an horrible, I think it was about 14 years or something, he had a terrible life of being, you know, he was, you know, you you know, Debbie, he was was spat at, he was shouted at in the street, he had things done to his windows, he had stuff daubed on his doors, he had stuff put through the letterbox. That's horrible. He wouldn't wouldn't move. He he, he was innocent. He said, I'm innocent. I'm not moving. And people were horrible to him. I give him a lot of credit. Good for him because a lot of people couldn't take that pressure, but good for him. I agree. I I, I don't uh, know if I could take it. Me neither. I I would be devastated. The trouble is, I think he was so well known, there's nowhere in the country he could have gone. Exactly. Yeah, where do you you go? He was on the front page of every national newspaper. It didn't matter if you was in England, Scotland, Wales, or Ireland. You knew who Colin Slack was. was. But then, unbelievably, in November 1989, this is before Rachel was killed, yeah? Pauline Knapper rang the police claiming that her son had raped a woman on Plumstead Common. That was her son, Robert. The police made some checks, but they dismissed it, said it was it didn't happen. If they had searched a bit harder, they would have found that a 30-year-old woman had been raped in front of her children in her house that backed onto Plumstead Common, and they did nothing. That would be in a report in that station. Oh, my God. And the mother of Robert Napper had actually said that this guy this guy might have been this guy might be my son he said that he's done it and they they basically ignored it the mother never had any more to do with her son after she was told that oh you mean uh, or the she just as soon as she was told that information she never spoke to her son again wow do you want me to do you want me to carry on? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because sure? I, I like being kind of the audience. Because this one to me, I I was floored by it. And I like I said, I read mostly about the son's account, but it, it's fascinating to me the way that that the way it went is just fascinating. I'll be your audience today. I thoroughly enjoy how you're telling the story because I really I feel like I did I had a grasp on it and I knew who did it and everything. But there's certain things I didn't understand that I'm getting okay. to now. It's making just so much more sense than it did originally. Okay, yeah. so I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll keep on. You just interrupt yeah, me when yeah, you want yeah. to have a, you know, have a, a question or something. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll just keep rolling along like yeah. I'm a guest. Yeah, like yes, I'm, like I'm a, yes, a real like guest. I'm a guest. <laughs> Being interviewed. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. I've never, been a, I've never been a I've yes. never been a star guest. You're a guest star. I'm a bit I'm a bit emotional. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so the rapes, the rapes and attacks continued. And and of course, it, as we know in 1992, Rachel's murdered. In August 1992, Robert Napper, this is the guy who uh, mum rang in 
is taken in for questioning over the green chain rapes. He's asked to take a DNA sample, but he doesn't turn up for two appointments. Wow. And and Robert Knapper's mother was the one who never The one who rang in and said that he'd admitted to doing this yeah, one okay. in 1989. Yeah. Now, this is, this is where British police is brilliant. They send, uh, they send two blokes up to the thing, up to the uh, Robert Knapper's house to remind him that he's missed two appointments for a DNA test and he's not there. So one of the policemen looks in his notebook, says, oh, he's six foot two. It's not him anyway. They never follow up the DNA. They never follow up anything. They just leave it. So then it comes to a head. On the 3rd of November, 1993, a man forces his way into 30-year-old Samantha Bissett's one-bedroom basement flat in Plumstead. He stabbed her by the front door in the neck so she went she she went down right at the front door with loads of loss of blood coming out of her neck. Oh my now, god. Now this is anybody listening to this, this is a bit upsetting. Okay. okay. Trigger. So if you want to skip this bit, he then sexually assaults and suffocates to death Samantha's four-year-old daughter, Jasmine. Oh he then my. comes he then comes downstairs, he drags Samantha's body into the lounge strips her and disembowels her, taking part of her body away with him as a trophy. She was arranged on a cushion so that she looked the way that she looked when he was looking through the window and saw her and her boyfriend making love. Oh. Right? He'd been looking. Um, it turned out that Samantha didn't believe in curtains and things, and so he'd been looking through the window and watching them in the living room having sex and he he put her in the exact pose that he'd seen her in because that's the way they god how twisted is that he then stabbed cut and carved her body more than 60 times the scene was so bad that the criminal photographer who went did not come back to work for two years that Samantha, samantha basically looked very 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 like rachel yeah really so yeah. he had a type Blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. Yeah, that was his. T- oh my god! But to kill a little girl. Oh my. Four-year-old. Four-year-old. So yeah, that's the thing old. that gr- he killed the girl, but he didn't kill Alex. It's. It isn't thought that he'd ever. He'd ever actually done any harm to the children before. Wow. And when he did all these things. But he was probably getting more frenzied. Maybe do you think? The. I'll tell you what they thought about him. Right? Okay. There was two different there was two there was two different views about why he did what he did. One of them was that because he had such a terrible childhood, it was and he had and he did it, the man's crazy. You know, he's totally mad. Yes. And he did it he, and he did it because of things that happened in his childhood. That's why he didn't do anything to the children. But the most the, the most people think the reason he did it when the children were there was because he threatened to do something to the children if the mother didn't do as he asked. So he, he was very oh. clever. He made he made sure children were in. What a sicko. When he was out, he attacked he attacked women who had children because he said to them, Do as I tell you, or I'll kill your child. Oh yeah, now yes. 
That's what made more sense about Rachel. Yes. Because the woman is more apt to do what he says. Of course, if your child's there, of course. I mean, I hate to say this, but I would. I mean, what mother wouldn't? No, exactly. I know. You know, you're terrified. You'll but do now, anything to protect your child. So now there's the murderer of Samantha and um, Jasmine, isn't there? So I think it's about time that we really need a forensic profiler. A real Guess one? Guess who we get. So oh, now we get. No. No, we've, we've, no, honestly, we've got to have Dr. Britton. Dr. Britton comes along and now does a site, now does a profile on this murder and says it is definitely not the same murderer as Rachel Nickel. Right? He's absolutely absolutely categorical. He's on he's on television saying it and he denies it. If you see him in a program now, he'll deny he said it. Are you kidding me? What no. is wrong with this guy? No, this guy, this guy is nearly as bad as the people that it, there's something wrong with him. Yeah, it, there's something but, wrong uh, with him. You yeah. know, he, yeah. he's well. So anyway, he does his profile. So now we've got three different uh, profiles for Rachel's killer, the uh, green chain rapist, and the murder of Samantha and uh, Jasmine Bissett. And so they're, they're, you know, so I don't know what to say about that. I mean, that's um, that's absurd. You know, it just sort of like anyway. It, it's all ab- I can say. It's absurd because it it just. I mean, I don't know why he would say it. it I don't know. I don't get him. I. I mean, is his ego stopping him? That you know, in Paul Britton's case, is I I don't. It's get massive. It. It's massive. It's huge, Deb. Is it, there is no bounds to Paul Britton's ego. I mean, he doesn't even care. I think if it's wrong or not, he just—I don't—I don't even know who would use. Him. You know, after failing that many times, why would you even go to him? Was he ever correct? I mean, how did he become so synonymous with being? I, I don't know. I did hear that if you take a uh, uh, psychology degree, you can just be become. A, polin- a police uh, forensic profile. Man. Just by the police can just get you in, and you don't have to have any qualifications. Just for the fact that you've got a degree in psychology. That's that's so here. I don't know. I mean, you can go to get a degree and everything, but they're useless. You really have to become a police officer first before they they won't even accept it, and you as an expert until you've been a cop for a while. Yeah, you I know, mean, like they don't care about degrees. They want you to be uh, experienced. I mean, if anybody wants to know what I mean about this guy, go on YouTube and watch the crime and investigation about the, the murder of Rachel Nickel. Yes. I don't, yeah. I, yeah. Or, or or even better, the, the, the one with, I can't remember his name, uh, Mark somebody. Uh, he's a really, really good journalist, British journalist interviewing him and i think that was crimes that shocked britain or something like that but they're on youtube i'll i'll definitely find it this has the the journalist interviewing poor britain and you can see him denying everything that is amazing he denies it all it was all the police's fault the police went over his head or the police didn't let him do this or everything everything is is at the end of police fault but anyway at this time We've got three different profiles for three different killers. We're two killers and a a rapist, yeah? Right. Anyway, all I can say is thank God for Detective Superintendent Mickey Banks. 
He was having none of it at all. This Mickey Banks, the right old, good old East End copper. And he's not having anything to do with this newfound rubbish. And so he don't think, he doesn't think Britain's any use at all. And he just, and he says actually on the programme, he says, you know, this bloke knew nothing. Good, good for him for speaking the truth. So um, in May 1994, Napper, Robert Napper, is arrested when the his fingerprints are found in Samantha Bissett's house. In July 1994, two green chain rapist victims pick Napper out of an ID parade. In October 95, Napper pleads guilty to the manslaughter of Samantha and Jasmine. Manslaughter because of diminished responsibility. Oh, okay. He also admits rape and attempted rape in 1992. And he's sent indefinitely to Broadmoor High Security Hospital. That's the hospital that you know, the really bad people go to, you know, like um, the, the, the Moors murder Ian, oh, Ian Brady. Oh, really? That's where you go if you're... I mean, is it for criminally insane? Criminally insane, yeah. Okay, okay. So in April 2002, LGC Forensics, due to advancements in DNA science took the small uh, organic sample. Remember the small organic sample on Rachel? And first, their first tests showed that they weren't Alex's or Andre's DNA. The third test showed that it wasn't Colin's DNA. But the fourth test showed it was Robert Knapper's. Robert Knapper was charged with Rachel's murder. He pleaded guilty to manslaughter of Rachel Nickel on the grounds of diminished responsibility. Colin Stagg is at last cleared completely of Rachel's murder. And what year and was that? What year did this happen? This is, uh, oh, you know what? I haven't got that. Have I got that? Oh, that's okay. I, I was just. I think it was 2006. Okay. 2004 or 2006. So what is, is manslaughter? Like manslaughter over here is not that, like it's bad. But I mean, is manslaughter, I don't know, like, Manslaughter, manslaughter is normally not in this sort of case. No, manslaughter is normally where you killed somebody, probably like you killed them by running them over, but you hadn't meant to, sort of thing. You know, manslaughter is down from murder. Yeah, yeah. But they use manslaughter so that if a person will plead to manslaughter due to diminished responsibility and take the uh, sentence they're going to get. It saves the whole drawn-out cost of a court case. I mean, after he was found um, guilty of Samantha Bissett's murder, he would never have been coming out of prison anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay. So they rather take the manslaughter, you know, yeah. that he committed while he wasn't in the right state of mind. Right. I, that's I the same. It. So I'll wrap, shall I wrap it up then? Oh, yeah, the yeah, whole... yeah, yeah. Well, I just uh, wanted to say that for her son that wrote that book, it was outstanding. I highly recommend it. It's called, I just read it, but it's, again, it's about the son and how he gets through her murder. It's very good, though, but I do want to read the one about... Mariah. Yes. Yeah, about Colin Stagg. If you want to get the one about... Oh, there is one. There's one called Napper Through a Glass Darkly. That's... I okay. This one, letting go: a story of murder, loss, and survival by Rachel Nicole's son, Alex Hanscom. If anyone yep. was interested, 
So what was to wrap it? Oh, there's a couple in here. Well, yeah, there's there's quite there's, there's quite a bit left. Yeah, so yeah, I'll go ahead, try, go ahead. Uh, yeah, 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 wrap it up. Yeah. Okay, so Colin is at last cleared, right, of Machel's murder, and he receives a full apology from the Met Police, and he's awarded seven hundred and six thousand pounds damages. Amazingly, now you're going to like this one. Amazingly, the policewoman, who was known as Lizzie James, took 18 months off work, then retired due to post-traumatic stress syndrome, issued a writ against the police and took an out-of-court settlement of £125,000. When you think that Andre Hanscom only received £20,000, damages for his wife being murdered then oh. that sort of i'll put that in context oh. in, in october 2002 dr you're gonna like this one as well oh, dr no. paul Britton was cleared of seven counts of misconduct what? at a hearing at a hearing of the psychological society after formal complaints by colin stagg <laughs> I, I've got to say, I doubt he worked for the police again. <laughs> in any, I heard that he's now an, a, a university lecturer. Oh, and you know it, he pumps uh, himself up and probably lies to receive them about what really happened. Un- unbelievable. Uh, they, uh, Andre, Andre Hanscom took his son, his, his, his and Rachel's son, Alex, to live in secrecy in the French countryside where... He turned into a really lovely man. Oh. And I think the last thing, we'll leave on Napa, right? Yes. Dr. Natalie Pizora, who had been treating Napa in Broadmoor, said he is a paranoid schizophrenic who believed he was untouchable and could transmit his thoughts by telepathy. She added that he also suffers from Asperger's syndrome he is convinced he is. Uh, he has an MA in maths and a Nobel Peace Prize, medals from fighting in Angola. Uh, he and his family are in the who's who, and that he may well have had millions of pounds in a bank in Sidcook, Kent. He had been kneecapped by the IRA, and his fingers had been blown off by a parcel bomb, but they grow. They grew back. <laughs> <laughs> Mad as a box of frogs. Oh my god, it's unbelievable. <laughs> that case is just wow. Do you, know what? Do you know all I can say to you about that? Uh, all I can say to you about that, Deb, is good luck editing <laughs> that. <laughs> at least I, I got I'm your. I'm really at least glad I got your voice on this one. <laughs> I'm really glad I'm not editing that, honestly. I'm glad I got your – if I would have hung up and I would have got your voice, I would have been out the window right here. I would, oh, honestly. Like, I can just imagine you interviewing somebody Lyndon. and turning around and saying after an hour or so, yeah. I don't gotta, like to tell you this. We got to do all this again. But it's not recorded. <laughs> Or even, even 
worst. Can you imagine? I'm all excited and I get off and there's none of them and it's all me talking That's to myself. I, I what would... a disaster. Oh. That would be even worse. I, would... I reckon all there'd be would be an empty chair and then all of a sudden the person's agent sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and me, you'd see my feet as I climbed out the window. Oh, my God. You know what? This is our third episode. Yes. And we've never had a smooth one. And we're we're, we're (laughs) destined to just... That's like our our thing. It's got to be a mess first. Uh, (laughs) And I can see it getting dark as I was talking to you in your room. I had to put the light on, look. I told you I wasn't going to get me dinner till midnight, did I? (laughs) I am so glad you're so relaxed, Lennon. Honestly, oh, God. You I, did, honestly, it's just good fun, isn't it? Yeah, you know? it is fun. We have fun together. I, I love I doing them with you because I don't feel the pressure that I would off of, some, you know, because we know each other and feel more comfortable. I would, I, I just get very nervous when it's someone I don't know or, yeah, you know, yeah. that's good. We did it. We say, did it. It yeah. really is good. It really is a good thing. 